You are listening to Forward, a podcast of island readers and writers. This is your host, Taylor Mace. I'm here today with author John David Anderson, who is the author of 10 middle grade novels, including the recently published One Last Shot. Um, It's a story with a lot of humor and heart about a kid who enters into a miniature golf tournament um, that mixes a lot of um, poignant elements with, with a lot of, of, funny ones as well, um, which is as Dave is books, um, if you're familiar with them, they they tend to do so well. Um, We were so fortunate to have Dave with us last spring um, in several schools in Washington County. And um, we just had a blast and all of the kids did as well during his visits with Island Readers and Writers. So thank you so much, Dave, for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Taylor. So One Last Shot was just published um, this June, and um, it's, I, I just love it, and I highly recommend it. And I wanted to ask you, um, how, how did you come up with the miniature golf angle? Are you a miniature golfer? Uh, so ultimately what I am is uh, an experimenter, at least as a writer. And so I try to dabble in lots of different genres. And you know, I had written fantasy novels, and uh, I had written a lot of realistic novels from different perspectives. And one thing I hadn't tried yet was a sports novel. And um, I, we live in a, a very um, sports-minded culture. I thought maybe I could connect with certain kids who have that bent. Uh, and then I looked at myself and I said, the problem, John David Anderson, is that you're not good at any sports. Uh, and it's, it's true. I'm terrible. I have bad depth perception. Uh, I'm uncoordinated. And I thought, well, there's, there's got to be one sport out there that I'm knowledgeable about that I really enjoy playing. And that's hit on miniature golf. Uh, and so this was my attempt to write a sports novel. It's the only sport that I felt confident in. And at the same time, I actually set out, the only thing I knew about the book was it was going to be about miniature golf and it was going to be in 18 chapters. I had no idea what any of the chapters were going to be about, but I wanted to follow each of the 18 holes of this tournament and then use flashback to reintegrate the story of the protagonist, uh, Malcolm and see all the different things that are playing out inside of his head in terms of the concerns having with his family and his parents' marriage and his friendships and his coach as that plays out with the very real-time uh, occurrence of the, the tournament itself. So it started as an experiment, and, you know, sometimes experiments work and sometimes they don't. And uh, this one, actually, I managed to see through all 18 holes and got it published. Is Fritz's based are any of the holes based on ones that you've played or did you kind of invent them all? Right. Yeah. So they are, uh, I've probably played miniature golf at 20 or 30 different places over the course of my life. Um, and you pick up bits and pieces. Now Fritz's itself isn't based on any one particular miniature golf course, uh, but individual elements. And some of them are classic, right? Like the windmill. Um, some of them like the giant dinosaur is something that I've actually seen somewhere. Uh, and I think what I really wanted to get across with this place is just how crazy whimsical miniature golf can be on one hand. I mean, it's just sort of fanciful and farciful and completely out there. I mean, because where else can you go 
for example, and play a sport where there are like giant pirate ships uh, and alligators and all this stuff. Exactly. Um, right? But at the same time, even though it has that sort of whimsy to it, it's also very mathematical. Um, and like the, the, the geometry of it is something that Malcolm, the main character, can really wrap his head around. Uh, and so I like that, that, you know, you can sort of be in this sort of fanciful world, but at the same time, like physics uh, comes into play, right? Uh, and so, and it can be very competitive. This is something I learned while researching the book. Uh, is people get very serious about their miniature golf. I had, yeah, I had no idea myself that that was even a thing. And you can imagine as any sport or competition can be that it can get pretty serious. Right, yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, that uh, I love the flashback element and that's not something um, you see too often in, in middle grade fiction, but also it gives um, you the opportunity to really hear all those voices that are going on in Malcolm's head, um, including, you know, the sort of trying to stave off the tension between his parents. How did you come up with um, this, this main conflict and how Malcolm deals with it throughout the book in a sort of a changing way? Yeah. So growing up, um, two very loving parents uh, that did not always see eye to eye. Um, and so it was kind of a loud household and I was an escapist, right? So my strategy for dealing with arguing parents was always to find a space inside of my head that I could retreat to. Uh, and in that space that I found was populated, of course, by all kinds of characters and all kinds of voices. Um, and one of them was always that voice of insecurity or anxiety that you internalize. And that tells you like that maybe there's something that either you did that started this particular conversation or argument between your parents, or maybe there's something you could have done differently that staved it off. And so I had a childhood that was filled with that kind of anxiety and it was all internalized and it all came through ultimately in the creation of characters and voices inside of my head. So I knew I wanted to deal with that. And I think most middle grade books emotionally at their core they probably go back to something the author has experienced. If not directly, uh, then at least they understand what that kid is going through. They can empathize with it. And so I can empathize definitely what Malcolm is going through based on my own personal experience. Um, the question of, you know, those particular voices that he hears, those are specific to him. Uh, those are all sort of fictional. You know, I don't have a crazy aunt that talks to me inside of my head um, <laughs> like he does. But uh, I do think a lot of kids have that constant, and probably most kids have that in constant internal dialogue that's going on where they're questioning themselves and questioning their agency and um, trying to grapple with the concerns and the barriers they're facing. And they're doing it through a conversation that they're essentially having with themselves. When that conversation turns positive, right, uh, then I think it can be incredibly useful. It's when we turn that eye upon ourselves and we start uh, negating ourselves or, or questioning the, thing, the things that we believe in in a way that becomes, you know, uh, anti-productive, then I think that's where it becomes more dangerous. And, you know, so I wanted to deal with that. Uh, how do you quell the voices inside of your head that are 
tending you towards insecurity? Um, and then how do you find the confident voice inside of you uh, that tells you that you're good enough just as you are and that the problems of the world were not caused by you? You mentioned that you're able to empathize with Malcolm in that way, but how is it that you're able to really sort of tap into how a middle schooler, a 12-year-old feels? Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> I can tell you what my wife would tell you, uh, <laughs> uh, which is the key to being a, a decent middle grade writer is to never grow up to begin with, um, as the Legos that, you know, are on our bookshelves attest to. Um, and my very 12-year-old sense of humor obviously comes through in the book as well. Uh, but I think a lot of it ultimately comes back to the emotions. Like, you want to tap into the moment where you feel, feel things the most intensely. And in my life, at least, the, the time when I felt things the most intensely was probably between the ages of, like, 10 and 15. Um, you know, I wasn't jaded. Uh, I hadn't developed my, you know, sort of, standoffish, sarcastic sense of humor yet. And there was a lot of tumult going on. Um, I did not have the best middle school experience as readers of some of my books can probably surmise. And so I think tapping into those emotions, like you want to go back to something that was dramatic and full of conflict. And, you know, if I go back to my 30s, there's not a whole lot of conflict there. They were pretty good. If I go back <laughs> to when I was 12 years old, man, uh, I can dig up all kinds of demons. And uh, a lot of those demons manifest themselves in the concerns of my characters as well. But I think as long as you're writing about something that is emotionally true, then it doesn't matter what the actual plot or the, the content of your book is. Your readers are going to find a way to engage and empathize with it as well. So you can be writing about dragons and dinosaurs or aliens or whatever it is, as long as your main character, the person that they're identifying with, is reacting it, to it in a way that speaks to them emotionally, that seems emotionally accurate, I guess, uh, then they're going to make that connection. What you're working on now, um, I don't know if it's dragons and, <laughs> but it's, it's sci-fi. So how are you, can you tell us a little bit about that book? Sure. Um, I did say aliens and there are aliens in that book. Um, again, you know, going back to the idea of experimenting with new things and new genres I was a Star Wars fanatic growing up, still am. You know, was, Empire Strikes Back was the first movie that I ever got to see in the theaters. I was five years old, uh, and it blew me away. I had no idea what it was about, but I knew it was awesome. Um, it taught me a lot about fatherhood, you know, uh, among other things. Uh, and so I decided I wanted to write a science fiction novel, but I wanted to deal with, you know, um, some pretty complex concerns. And so it tells the story of, I mean, the, pro, the protagonist um, is caught up in a universe where the Earth is in the middle of an intergalactic war between these two other alien species, and um, his ship gets stranded in the middle of deep space, and it gets boarded by pirates, and he ends up stowing away on board their vessel, uh, and he somehow has to convince them to go help him rescue his father. And meanwhile, the earth is falling apart and there's environmental concerns uh, and there's double crosses and twists and turns and who you think might be good might not be good and all this stuff. And of course, there's also, you know, humorous alien interludes and uh, the fish out of water story as well. 
um, because he's definitely, Leo, who's the main character, is definitely in a place that he doesn't recognize um, with people he's not sure he can trust. And so it's space opera, it's pirates, it's laser battles, um, but it's also a book about family and how we sort of configure that and reconfigure it. Um, and it's about finding your place in the universe, uh, which is a really big place. Right, literal universe. Yeah, the, the literal universe. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that science fiction does especially well is it says, all right, you know, you think you've got it hard trying to find out what it means to be a kid or to be, um, you know, part of this country or part of this world. Now, let me explode that. Uh, show you just how insignificant you are right, in the grand scheme of things and then force you to find a way to be significant, force you to find a way to have agency and to make a change that could have like universal far-reaching implications. Um, so it, it was fun. It was challenging. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I'm not sure if I pulled it off, um, but we'll see. We'll see next summer. Can you tell us the title? Uh Yes, it is called Stowaway. Stowaway. Um, Stowaway. Next uh, summer. Yes, but you'll know it's not a sort of 17th century pirate novel by the big spaceship on the front. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, good it's good. like, oh, wait a minute, you know, uh, this isn't like Captain Kidd and Captain Jack Sparrow, you know, uh, this is space pirates. It's always a treat to hear the author read their own words, and Dave has agreed to read a humorous excerpt from One Last Shot, and this is a scene during which Malcolm, the protagonist, gets a golf lesson from his miniature golf instructor, Frank. My second ever lesson with Frank Sanderson started with a discussion of equipment and how to handle it, beginning with balls. Now, balls come in different sizes, Frank explained. They can differ in balance and hardness and texture, so it's, it's important to use the right balls in the right situation. They can also get knocked around a lot, so you want to keep them safe and in good condition. And you want to make sure they're warm, too. Temperature can do funny things to balls, so on cold days you can just rub them like this or just keep them cupped in your hands like so. Frank held a golf ball in one hand, fingers wrapped tight around it. He looked deadly serious, even in his cut-off sweatpants and his Game of Thrones t-shirt. His expression was straight as a pencil. I, on the other hand, had to bite down hard on the inside of my cheek to keep from laughing. Of course, some professionals will carry around a special bag for their balls, you know, to protect them. But those aren't really necessary. What's the problem? You're turning red. Sorry, I said, still stifling giggles. It took Frank a second. Then he nodded. Okay. You're 12, I get it. But we're professionals, and this is an important conversation. I know, sorry, I said. I sat up straight, I put on a serious face. Thank you, Frank huffed. Now let's talk about putters. When it comes to shaft length, that was as far as he got. My lips were pressed tight, trying to hold it in, but they started to quiver. Frank shook his head and smiled, giving me permission to laugh. So I did, just a little, and he did too. Okay, maybe we stop talking about equipment and get down to business. Franken went and picked up a putter of moderate shaft length from the rack and pointed towards the red course. Today we're going to focus on the back nine because they're harder. Fourteen's especially tricky. Fourteen was the one with the water hazard, a puddle that took up half the green. I wondered what Frank would say about getting your balls wet. I was afraid to ask. 
<laughs> Again, you could just hear a 12-year-old <laughs> train of thought throughout that. And um, it's just uh, delightful in the ways that um, this, um, the humorous interludes undercut um, Malcolm's anxieties and, and what he's feeling um, for his dad and the, the tension between his parents. So it's the comic relief, especially from Frank, um, yeah. that is enjoyable in this story. Yeah, Frank's um, a good character. And what I like about him is that he really drives the metaphor home um, and that there's so much we can learn about ourselves by engaging in the thing that we love. Um, and I think a lot of times people lose sight of what they love about something. And I think that's one of the things that obviously happens with Malcolm's parents. And uh, it run, Malcolm runs the risk of losing sight about what he loves about miniature golf. Uh, but Frank is the anchor that is always there uh, who sort of tells him like, you know, this is what's important. Um, remember the fun, remember the joy, uh, remember the, the little moments and appreciate those. Um, and, you know, never lose your passion for the game. And I think that's like, that's kind of an important lesson for all of us because we're at a time when it's easy to lose sight of the things that matter um, or not to stay committed to the things that we believe in. Uh, and we really need to. So. Shot is out now, um, and I highly recommend it. And uh, Dave will be doing some virtual programs with us this fall, so stay tuned on our e-newsletters um, for more information about what we have in store as we've kind of navigated um, our online learning and author visits. Uh, we look forward to doing that with you this fall and then reading Stowaway next summer. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Taylor. Join me next time with author and illustrator Russ Cox. Thank you for listening to Forward, a podcast of Island Readers and Writers. Subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.